0: My name is Jeff, and I'm really excited to be here with you. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. It's a little warmer there than here. Uh, and I am super, super excited to be here with you all. Um, I've been speaking at Hume for about 12 years, so, and this is my second time out to New England, which is pretty cool. Like, I really, really love it out here. I've been married for 24 years, and I have three kids. I have a 22-year-old. He gets married in May. I have a 19-year-old son. I have a 12-year-old daughter. So, some of you are 12. Anybody in here 12? Yeah? Okay, cool. So, I got you. I got you. Um, let, me, uh, let me do this. Um, Ephesians 4. If you have your Bibles, go to Ephesians 4 in verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and someone will bring you a Bible. Uh, but Or if you have a smartphone or something like that, I put the Bible app on it. You can do that, but if you need a Bible, somebody will bring you a Bible. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Here's what I'd like you to do. Ephesians 4, if you wonder where Ephesians is, go to the New Testament, keep turning past the Gospels. You'll see a Galatians, and then you'll see Ephesians, and then you'll see Philippians. So in between Galatians and Philippians, you'll find Ephesians. And you're gonna go to Ephesians 4, verse 17. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to just read Ephesians 4, 17 for just a minute, all by yourself. Uh, Ephesians 4, if you need help finding it, to help somebody can help you. Ephesians 4, 17, why don't you read that on your own uh, just for a minute, and we'll get going here in just a second. So Ephesians 4, verse 17. You got it. Ephesians four, seventeen. Yep. Think about it. What does that mean? What do you think what do you think Paul's trying to say here? Paul says this in Ephesians four seventeen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. And continuing on into verse 18 because we're gonna cover this whole section of scripture. They are darkened. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned uh, of Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of God. And everybody said, amen. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. So much. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you give us your word so we can learn and grow and understand. Thank you for these junior high students who are here. They're here to listen and they're here to learn. I know you love them so much so much you love junior hires you love their hearts you love their passion spirit of the living god would you speak to them would you speak to them that they would not think of themselves as less because they are young but more because you are moving in and through them god that they would listen to you today that they would listen to you throughout this weekend to the word that you want to teach them, that they would be transformed by the renewing of their minds, that they may present their lives to you as a living and holy sacrifice. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. So uh, I was a youth pastor, and actually I was a youth pastor to junior hires for like 10 years. So I love junior hires. Junior hires are the best. So uh, I came out of Bible college, and then I took a youth group in, north of Chicago uh, in a town called gurney. It was my very first youth ministry. I wanted to make a big impression, right? I wanted to do like go out of the box and make a big bang, and I wanted all these kids to come in. I put on these huge events and have people show up. Well, my very first event, I had this brilliant idea. Now our 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 church was in a gym, kind of like this, but in a, in a gym, and I came up with this genius idea, and it basically was this, uh, that we we're gonna invite all these kids, pizza, get them all wired up on sugar and pop, uh, soda, and then what I was gonna do is I blew up all these balloons, like a thousand balloons, and we put them in the center of the gym, okay? And then the goal was is divide, eat, to divide have the group divide into four teams. So the goal was that they would run to the middle, grab the balloons, as many as they could, bring them to their corner, and then they needed to protect them from like snipers who would go around and pop the balloons at the end of the game. Right? Everyone, whoever had the most balloons that were unpopped in their corner win win. Doesn't that sound awesome? It was pretty awesome, yeah. Except that I was like, I gotta make this better. I gotta make this more awesome. I gotta really set it off because I wanna make a great impression. So what I decided was I was gonna turn off all the lights, turn on strobe lights, and then turn the music up to 11 the moment I said go. Every single one of my volunteers says, I think this is a really bad idea because these are junior high kids. I was like, no, it's going to be amazing. You just watch. This is going to be the most epic youth event of all time. It's going to be amazing. So all the kids in their corner, they're all jazzed up on candy and soda and everything else. And I go, are you guys ready? And they go, wow. Right? They're freaking out. And I go, okay, on your marks, get set. The moment I sit, get get set, lights down, programmed it perfectly. Lights go down, strobe lights go up. Uh, The music gets turned all the way up. Go! And the moment I said go, I immediately realized I made a terrible mistake. Because what you have, junior junior high boys, their brains aren't fully formed. And all they see is red. They just see a goal. And so these junior high boys go running to the middle from all four corners, full speed, go. And it was like, da, 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 right? And then smashed. They all smashed into each other. And I was like, oh, there were bodies laying all over the ground. There were And I'm not even kidding when I say this. Puddles of blood everywhere. They were dragging bodies out of the center of the basketball court. And I was like, oh no, oh my gosh. This one girl came up and she said, my head hurts. And what happened? She had a gash in her head. She's bleeding down her face. This other boy walked up to me and went, my mouth hurts. And he, he took his, I'm not even joking, he took his hands away and his teeth were sticking through the front of his lip. Right? So I'm calling ambulance. The fire trucks are showing up. We're mopping blood off of the thing. I'm like, this is what happened here, right? What is going on? In my mind, it was so amazing, but I didn't heed to the warning because here's the reality. I had something going on inside of me. I think we all do. We got something. We want to prove something. We want to prove that we're significant. We want to be impressive, right? Most of us grow up wanting to be a somebody, Rightly, we want to make our mark on the world. And that's what we want to do. We want to be remembered. And what ends up happening as a result of that is this. Our value is placed in the hands of a sinful humanity. We are looking to get affirmations from everybody else other than the one that we need the most affirmation for, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who lovingly knit us together in our mother's womb, who created heaven and earth and breathed life into your lungs. And and, what we do is we trade all of that to be liked by other people instead of truly receiving who he says we are. By nature, we are loved because we were created into this world by by the one who is love. Love exists because God exists, and when he created you, he created you lovingly. But instead, here's what our world is telling you. No, 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 no. It's about your truth you right. No, no, no. You do you. Can I just tell you, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You do you. I like to kick puppies. Hey, you do you. You like to kick puppies. Kick, kick. That's so ridiculous, right? But we say this stuff all the time. This is all around you. You got algorithms on your social media platforms that are feeding you this garbage to keep you entertained, to keep you locked in, and it's crushing you. Your truth. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. If you tell a junior high boy, it's your truth, they're like, I'm going to throw a snowball in someone's face so hard and I don't understand why they're so upset, right? That's just the most, most, none of you probably know how to do your own laundry and you're like, no, but it's my truth. I get to decide who I am and what I wanna do. That's crazy. That's crazy. But this is the line that's being pitched to you to kind of, kind of lure you in as if you're the most important thing in the world and you're not. God is. He, wa- he is truth. Truth exists because God exists. And here's the thing, your truth dies with you. God's truth lives on and on and on and on because he is truth and he wants to give you his truth, and he wants to give you his life, and he wants to show you his way for his glory, so you can have what the scriptures say, life, life to the full. But because you have bought into this way, this narcissistic way of living your life, let me tell you this, it's not working. And it's breaking my heart the highest rates of suicide of all time right now. More kids, your age, 70% of you, research just came out, 70% of you say you're anxious. It's crushing you because you have placed all your values, we've placed all our values in the opinions of other people or in our opinion of ourselves instead of going, No, it's you. You're the only one who can define who I am, Lord Jesus. This is what Paul, all throughout all of his writings, is trying to help these young churches who are so distracted. He's trying to point them to the truth. You know why? Because Paul was just like a guy like you and me. Except here's the thing about Paul, he's actually super special. Paul would have been what they called like a super Jew. If there, was a, if there was an action hero, it would have been Paul. Like he did everything. He was educated under the smartest guy. He abided by all the rules from the tribe of Benjamin. And like he was the guy and zealous. He was so zealous. Zealous to the point that he killed people in the name of God. Killed people in the name of God. Paul loved God so much that he was like, No. If they try to fall after Jesus, no. He was so zealous for God, but he didn't know Jesus. Jesus meets Paul. Paul gets radically saved, radically saved. You don't have to live that way, Paul, anymore. You're not defined by your works Paul anymore. You're not defined by being the super over-the-top educated Paul. You get to be a son of the most high God, so he is radically saved, and then he is radically discipled, and then he radically serves, and what does he do? He wrote 13 out of the 27 books in the New Testament. 13 of them are written by him. Most scholars say that he started 14 churches. <clears throat> How cool is that? 14 churches. He's one of the most talked about and studied people in the entire history. And he preaches Christ crucified. The same Jesus who met him on the road to Emmaus. He wants to preach to this church, to these churches about this Jesus. He wants to tell them what it is to find their identity rooted in Christ. How it will revolutionize their lives and the lives of other people. This is what he is preaching to them. And in Ephesians, he spent two years with this beautiful church, and then now he's in prison. He writes this letter from prison. And what is it, what is it that this Paul, that this preacher, this pastor, this author, this missionary wants this church to know? Verse 17, now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This pastoral heart comes out in Paul, and he's like, he's looking to you, right? He's looking to me. He's looking to this church and goes, I need to tell you something so much important, something important. I want to testify. He says, I want to say something, and I want to testify something. I want to testify that Jesus is Lord. That's who he is. He's the Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to testify to the truth. And when someone testifies, that's a big deal. Does anybody know what happens if you go to court? What you have to do? Anybody know what you have to do? If you get up on the stand, what do you have to do? Um, you have to go up to a um, little You got it? Up to the stand? You have to Good. Against what the defender or Great. Does anybody know what you have to put your hand on? on Uh, You have to put it up here, right? Does anybody know what you have to say? I shall give you the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. So as he's testifying, here's what he's saying. I want to give you the truth, church. I wanna give you the whole truth. I wanna give you nothing but the truth. This is what he's trying to tell you tonight. I want to give you, Paul wants to give you the truth and nothing but the truth and the whole truth. He wants to give you his testimony of truth of how he was transformed, how he's a new creation and he wants to invite you in. Paul's going like this, look, I know what it is to live over there. I know what it is to be defined on all these other things and they they brought me nothing. But I want to preach to you Christ crucified, I want to preach to you about who Jesus is and how he transformed my life. Here's what he says. I tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good and he sits in prison going, I desperately want you to hear this. It's changed my life. It's changing everyone's life, those who will receive it. And I want you to have it, you young church. I want you to have this truth. You know what I find so interesting for you all, and for me included, is that everyone is telling you they wanna give you the truth. I'm giving you the truth, I swear. How many of you hear your friends go, I swear, I swear, right? They're going, I'm telling you the truth, right? And they can maybe give you the truth, but they're not the truth. Only God is the truth. Truth exists because God exists. So the truth is intrinsic in his very nature. Paul is saying, I wanna show you Jesus. I wanna show you truth. And this truth will set you free. And that truth is this, is that Jesus is alive. Jesus is the king. And here's the thing, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Right, And he said, this is why the Gentiles, this doesn't make any sense to them because they only look to themselves. He says, the way that Gentiles are doing things, it's so much like our culture is doing things. It's your truth, your way, you do you. He's like, it's empty, it's futile. They only look to themselves. Now, this is what scripture says when you look to yourself. It's foolish. Read through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is going, if you look to your own wisdom, it's foolishness. Your truth is foolish. And anyone tells you your truth is foolish. It's only God's truth for God's glory. And so Paul is trying to draw them in and saying, I want to teach you truth, the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is God. And here's what God did. He moved into the neighborhood, it says in John 1. He moved in the neighborhood. The word became flesh, and dwelt among us. God has come near to us, incarnate. I love stars. How many of you, anybody like looking at stars? I love the stars. One of my favorite stars is the North Star. It's one of the brightest stars in the solar system. If you go outside, you can probably see it if it's clear today. If you look at the North Star, it's actually called Polaris. Polaris is this. It's 323 light years away. And I was sitting there looking at Polaris on my front porch. I have my dog, and he sits in in my lap every single morning on my front porch. And I look at these stars in the morning. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I was just blown away. And I'm blown away by the transcendence of it all, how massive it is. Because do you know this? That you are seeing that star as it was 323 years ago. But it took that long And I was just like the idea of space and the vastness of that was blowing my mind while I was talking with my counselor. And I was telling him how this was just like blowing my mind. He goes, you know what blows my mind? And I'm like, what? The God, the God that created all of that loves me and loves you. How beautiful is that? The overwhelming understanding how vast the universe is and he loves me. God is transcendent, but he is loving and near to you. That he has not abandoned you, that he sees you, and he knows you, and he sent his only begotten son to rescue and ransom you. And then we're, we're locking ourselves into our truth. We're locking ourselves into what our friends say on Instagram. Or, or, or whatever social media platform you decide to anchor your identity to, and it's robbing you, it's stealing from you. Instead of going, you love me, you see me, you know me, you are high and lifted up. Like, check this out, this blows my mind. Your brain has 143 billion synapses. Anybody know what synapses do? It makes every single thing in your body operate. Every single thing. The wink, everything, your hair, everything. 143 billion trillion, I'm sorry, not even tr- billion, trillion synapses that allows you to live. And God is in control of them all. Not only that, but He's in control of all of those trillions of synapses for you individually and then the eight billion people that live here on this earth. And He's not stressed about it at all. And without His sovereign hand on your lives and everyone else's lives, we're gone. We're dead, we can't make that happen. You can't make synapses fire. How many of you wake up in the morning and go, come on, synapses, let's do this? Anybody? Anybody make your lungs just blow up with the air? Are you like, okay, lungs, let's do this. Okay, heart, let's rock. How many of you do that? No, you don't, right? It just happens. Why does it happen? Because God is in control. He's sovereign over all. He's omniscient, he's omnipresent. Omniscient means overall, all-knowing. Omnipresent means near, ever near. So he is high lifted up, but he is near to you than your own heartbeat. He sees you and he knows you and he is transcendent. But here's the thing your culture wants to pitch to you. What our culture wants is this. Our culture wants a palatable, predictable, domesticated God. We want one that we can... Know everything about. But here's the thing. If you know everything about God, then guess what you are? You're God. And you're not God. I want a God that I don't completely, utterly. I want a mysterious God that I just continue to long over and go, oh, I cannot even believe that. I cannot even imagine that. I am, you are worthy, 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 high and lifted up. C.S. Lewis, anybody know who that is? Yeah? How many of you have ever seen or read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? There's this beautiful moment in The Lion and the Witch of the Wardrobe where they're, where they're coming in to see Aslan, right? And Susan, one of the sisters, she comes up and she says this, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I-, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver, Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, what your world wants to teach you, what your culture wants to teach you, is just a domesticated version of God. And I want you to know this. He's God and you're not. He is high and lifted up. He's the uncreated creator. And he's good. But you can't, fully comprehend the greatness of who he is. And what that does for us is that should cause our hearts to worship him. But instead, so many, and so many of our culture, we start going, well, I don't really like that, right? That doesn't make me feel right. Like, if I can't figure it all out, then it must not be real. And, and really what your culture says is this is feelings versus reality, right? Like So here's what people would say. They, they say things like this. Well, well, God needs me. Like God, God really needs you. Here's what I want you to know. God does not need you. God does not need you. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything or anybody. Oh, but God needs to make me happy. If, if he doesn't make me happy, then he's not a good God. He, needs to, he doesn't owe any of us anything. Any of us anything. God doesn't owe us anything. I have done nothing. I've done nothing to deserve anything from God. He is, he is to be lifted up, to be worshiped. Well, God needs to accommodate my needs. He needs to make happen what I, no, no, no. God says this, I am that I am. I am that I am. Moses says, who will I tell them? Who will I tell them? He says, I am that I am. I am everything. I am life. I am breath. I am love. I am all things. I owe you nothing. But here's the thing. He loves you. He sees you. He came to us. He wants and desires for each one of us to worship and to follow after him as the way, the truth, and the light. And if we try to keep him small and manageable, it's foolish. And it's what your culture is pitching to you, and it's a lie, and it's stealing from you. He is holy, 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 A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors, and he says this. Holy, listen to these words. It's gonna be a little wordy, but I want you to try to grab onto it. Holy is the way God is, To be holy means it does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. God is holy and he has made holiness the moral condition, necessary to the health of his universe. since temporary presence in this world only accents this. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end and ultimately in death. God is holy. Everything he is is holy. He can't be anything other than holy, which just continues to tell us who we are. We are in need of a holy God. Because we have nothing to offer him, nothing to give him, which means this, we need him. We need him. He does not need us. We need him. So the question tonight would be this, what, what do you think of God? When you think of God, what do you think of? Of God, Do you think he's kind of like this old guy? He's like, he's in this rocking chair. He's kind of distant, far away, irreverent or irrelevant. He's kind of this cosmic killjoy. He's got all these rules and regulations. I can't do this and I can do that, right? Is he like this angry moral monger? Like, yeah, you better cut it out. You better watch yourself. Is he like a genie in the bottle? I just pray, dear Lord, I didn't study for my test. And I know you love me, so could you give me an A, right? Maybe some of you think, like, I don't even think he exists. Maybe some of you are like, I don't even think God exists. And here's what I'd love you to see. I want you to see these holy, holy, holy. And what God does is holy. And what he did so wonderfully, so beautifully for each and every one of us is he moved into the neighborhood. He feels what you feel. He hurt like you hurt. He grieves like you grieve. He bled like you bled, which means this it says in Hebrews, He is our great high priest. He sympathizes with your hurt and pain. Some of you have gone through some hurt and pain, haven't you? Still are going through. Some of you currently, your moms and your dads are going through difficult times. Some of you have had loss. Some of you have people who in your life are going through cancer. God is not far from you. He knows that pain. He knows that hurt, and he loves you. He's not far from you. He's near. That's what Jesus did. He came to us. And this is why Isaiah is inviting us into this idea in Isaiah 64, 8. But now the Lord, our Father, we are the clay, and you are the potter, and we are all the work of, our, of your hands. Here's what he's saying. I want to be formed by you. I don't want to be formed by the things of this world. This is what Paul's trying to get after with his church. I want to give you a testimony of what has happened in my life. Don't think like the Gentiles. Don't think in the futile of their minds that they think their truth and that you do you, that that's going to solve anything. No, I want to be in the hands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to place my trust there because at least there I know it's real and trustworthy and true he doesn't have any motives. Do you know these algorithms that are pumping you full of lies? They just want to rob you. But God's not going to do that to you. These likes that you get, these friend requests that are starting to define who you believe you—it's robbing you. God's not going to want to do that for you. Come into my hands, into my care, so I can form you and care for you. From the very beginning of time, he saw you as unique and special. You're here because you matter. You matter. You're loved by God Almighty, and he wants to use you for his glory. But you need to trust him. You need to go, you're God, and I am not. You're truth, and I'm not truth. You're trustworthy, and I want to follow after you. I have a confession, but I need you to be kind to me. Can I tell you a confession? Okay, I'm not a big fan of Disney. I do not like Disneyland. I do not like going. I do not like going. Um, I know everyone says it's the happiest place on earth. And I think every single one of those people are a liar, right? I do not enjoy Disney, right? When you take little kids to Disney, right? Everyone's, it's so sweet. Look at them. They love it so much. Isn't it so fun? No, it's not fun. Because I don't like waiting in lines for nine hours to go on one ride that's a minute and a half long, right? I don't like paying $45 for a turkey leg, right? I don't like any of it, right? I don't understand the fact that grown men are wearing goofy ears and they, have, they spend $4,000 on pins and sashes. I don't understand that. My mind can't comprehend that. right? But that's a real thing that's happening at Disney all the time. It's the happiest place on earth. Yeah, I don't think. But took our, we took our kids there when they were young, strolled them around the park, and yes, they had a great time. How many of you, when you go to Disney, you have the best time? If you've ever been to Disney, right? Some of you have had the best time? So, so anyway, uh, at the end of the night, right? At the end of the night, the kids want to stay. There's a parade every night, of course. There's a parade every night. And my kids are like, please, can we stay? Please, can we stay? I was like, I just want to go home. I'm so exhausted. I think I actually broke my Apple watch. It said you did far too many steps, right? And so I'm like, can we just go home? Please, dad. Please, dad. So I'm like, okay, we'll stay for the, the parade. So my son Cooper, who at the time is probably four, is like, dad, can I get on your shoulders? And I love my kids, but I was like, no. And he was like, please, dad. And I was like, "Uh, uh, you kids will never know what parents go through until you become one. But anyway, so I'm like, fine. So he hops up on my my shoulders and I'm just immediately kind of miffed by the whole thing. Like, come on, bro, I'm so tired, right? And then this dude, right, Curls his, does his arms like this. And then on top of my head, now my head's like this. And I'm like, yo, chill bro. You know, like it's so heavy. My neck's kinked, right? And all of a sudden it gets super heavy. And I realize he's falling asleep on top of my head like this. (laughs) And I'm a bit annoyed. I wanna be like, wake him up. Come on, until I realize something like this. (sighs) He could die. He could fall right off the back of me and just die. But he he trusts me. He trusted me enough. I mean, I'm not a giant of a man, but to a four-year-old who's on top of my shoulders, that that feels like so high. And he, he had enough trust in me to fall asleep. And I immediately had this moment where I realized, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to trust the Lord. Confident that he sees me and knows me. You know, Cooper is confident of the fact that I was going to take care of him and take him home and tuck him in and make sure he was safe to the point that he fell asleep on top of my head. Why? Because I'm his dad. And I've proven myself, at least to this point, as a father to be faithful and trustworthy to the point where he could fall asleep on my shoulders. And I just wonder if some of you, you're keeping God at a distance, trying to be in control of your own destiny, instead of just trusting him and resting in the truth of who he says he is, all of what the scriptures are saying of who he is, and resting in that, letting that be your truth, that his truth is your truth, not your truth is your truth, his truth is truth, so you can rest in him. This is what he's inviting you into, And I wonder if for so many of the reason why you're in so much distress is you're just constantly searching for something other than God. And my hope is this weekend that we'll learn together through Paul's teaching of this church of going, let me teach you about who Jesus is. And let me teach you about how it will transform your lives and the lives of other people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I always feel so, so unworthy to speak about you, to teach about your goodness and your holiness, to try to teach about your character. It's like a child trying to explain physics. I just feel ill equipped. I never feel like I give enough because you're just so vast. And uh, it's not a statement of shame, but a statement of just how glorious and how beautiful and transcendent you are but I sense your presence your nearness your love of me the fact I'm beloved I feel your love I feel your care of me I feel you're pleased when I talk about you thank you that you allow me to to speak about you thank you that you've given me all these years to teach you've been so faithful to me so loving and kind and patient, and I I sense your presence so near. God, I desperately desire for these students to sense your presence very near. That God, as they walk out into the brisk air, that they would experience your transcendence, but also your nearness to them. I pray that they would come to truly trust in you. Protect us all from the evil one who is distracting us. Distracting us pulling us away from your love. Father God, we acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are our firm foundation. You are our home. You are our Father. And we give you all the glory, all the honor and praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.